Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm going to dive right in. If you want to stay standing, I'm going to start in the book of Exodus tonight. It's a light group tonight. That's okay. Amen? I learned that a long time ago in youth ministries. Most of those guys, once or twice, have been the lone recipient of a message. <laughs> it's awkward, but that's okay. <laughs> but I know in all seriousness, I believe that whoever's here is meant to hear what God has for us. Amen? Praise God. I believe it. Exodus 3, I'm going to read 1 through 11. And that is the longest I will read tonight, I promise. Exodus 3 and 1 says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said those powerful words, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites." Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto him, Who am I? That I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. I want to ponder that question for a few minutes tonight. Who am I? And what I want to, the dead horse I want to beat for the next few minutes is what God's ultimate response is to that question, what his response is to Abundant Life Apostolic Church when we ask that question, who am I, is you are not just a shepherd. You are not just destined to keep Jethro's flock. There's a greater purpose. Let's ask the Holy Ghost to have its way. Jesus, Lord God, I pray that your word would speak to us, God. Jesus, we are not limited tonight by the distractions of this world. We are not limited by the stresses, oh God, the, the oppressions that are on us. I pray in Jesus' name, you would open our hearts and our minds. You would pierce the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Oh God, let the Holy Ghost move on us, Jesus. Let it, let it search us, oh God, and change us into a, what's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We can be seated in the presence of the Lord. 
We've all heard the, the phrase or the mantra, whatever you will, you are your own worst critic. People look down on themselves for every perceived flaw or weakness. It's no exception with Moses. He has decided that the extent of his purpose is to be a shepherd in the backside of the desert, albeit. As soon as God calls him in this miraculous way, in, in a way that's unprecedented up until this time, in a way that is miraculous in every way, as soon as he calls him, he starts to doubt the call in his life. And he's got a lot of good reasons for it. He's, and you, a lot of you know this story, I'm not gonna embellish on it too much, but he is the least likely person to be chosen for his natural abilities. He, he he's, has, he's, he's the rest of the chapter, in, in chapter three, he goes on to explain how he, he's not eloquent of speech, and many believe he actually had a cleft palate. He was physically unable to speak correctly, and, and he can't even talk. And how is he supposed to go boldly into Pharaoh's throne room and declare the emancipation of the, of the nation of Israel with any shred of confidence or authority? His, his argument is completely logical in the human realm. But let me just remind you right away that God loves every single weakness in you because that's where he gets glory. He's magnified when he uses you to do something that there is no natural way you'd be able to do it. That's where he's magnified. We ought to praise God for the weaknesses. Let me remind you, it was Samson. His greatest victory came in weakness when his hair had been cut off of him and when his strength was taken from his body. You remember the story, he, he's so weak and feeble, he's gotta be led by the hand of a little boy to just grasp those pillars. And it was in that moment of weakness when he cried out to God and he had his greatest victory. The Bible says he destroyed more Philistines than all the rest of his life cumulatively up to that point. In weakness, he had his greatest miracle and God was glorified. Abraham the father of, the na of Israel. It was in weakness that Isaac was born. It was, it was in Sarah, the barren woman, that the nations of Israel would, would spring forth. It was weakness that God had to pair him with. David, the, the weak, he was an afterthought in his father's household. And I, I wondered as I was studying for this, why he was such an afterthought. I've pondered this so many times. Perhaps it was the character flaws that we come to know later in, in First and Second Samuel, all the things that, that David struggles with. Maybe it was evident at an early age and that made him the outcast of his father's house. His brothers talk about the naughtiness of his spirit, but he's weak. And yet he's the king that all the, the kings of Israel would be compared to as a point of reference for the rest of time. Jesus saved the world in weakness. It was in weakness when he robed himself in flesh that God saved the whole world. He loves weakness. Let me show you more. Notice how God addresses Moses. It's powerful. He, he says, I am the God of Jacob. You wanna talk about character flaws Jacob, the, the thief and the liar that stole the blessing from his brother and the birthright and lied to his father to get it. His name translates to a serper or, or supplanter or deceiver. And when God comes down 
to call Moses out of the burning bush. He lists three people. If you go back to verse six in, in Exodus three, he says, I'm the God of Abraham. Well, we remember Abraham's name was changed from Abram when God renewed his covenant with him. But he still calls him Abraham when he calls Moses. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I guess Isaac has always been Isaac. But then he says, I'm the, remember, Jacob's name was changed when he went over to the other side of Jabbok and he wrestled with the angel to the breaking of the dawn. And he got his blessing that he so desperately hungered. He, his name was changed too to Israel. But God doesn't say I'm the God of Israel. He says, I'm the God of Jacob. See, Moses has a big skeleton in his closet. He's, he's, he's a fugitive murderer on the run, in hiding. And what I believe tonight is some of us are not turning aside to God's calling. There's too much shame about what happened back in Egypt. There's too much shame about what happened in your old life. But that's not what God said. He said, I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of imperfection. I'm the God of flaws. I'm the God of weakness. God's calling out to Moses and he's saying, if I can take a liar and a thief and a deceiver and I can use him for all the nations of Israel to be born to, then surely I can use Moses. Surely I can use you where you are in spite of yourself, in spite of everything about you. He uses people in spite of their imperfections. And he's looking to use you where you are. Someone needs to hear it, but it's under the blood. And it was under the blood when he called Moses, before they could ever plead the blood, before there ever was the blood. He still wanted to use people in spite of their carnality, in spite of the mistakes. The God of weakness. From the very beginning, God breathed life into the dirt to form man. He's used to working with worthlessness with weakness. In, in Genesis 2 and 7, we read, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. If he can do it at the beginning, he can breathe life into the dirt of your life. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made, the burden of shame you've lived under, he's looking to call you out of the fugitive state to breathe into your flesh, change it into something that's pleasing to him for his purpose, for his glory. You are not condemned to keep the flock because of your past. He's calling you to greater things. See, Moses had become complacent with being a shepherd. We can't be complacent. I'm worried that we have too many incredible men and women of God called by God that have become complacent with being shepherds. And don't mishear me. God loves using shepherds and field workers in his kingdom, right? He, he called Moses from where he was, but he had a greater purpose for his life. David himself was pulled out of the fields from tending the sheep. He was a shepherd, but he had a greater calling on his life than he could have ever imagined. He was defending his sheep from bears and lions before he ever defeated a giant or enemy nations. God will make those that are faithful over the fields faithful over much. But he, David had a greater calling to be in a shepherd. The prophet Elisha was pulled off of the field. He was off of the plow by Elijah himself. Working the field. And he called him to a far greater calling on his life. 
the prophet of the nation, a double portion. Several of the apostles were commercial fishermen when Jesus called them to follow him. They dropped their nets, calling you to greater things. I don't know anything about the army, so I'll give you an army example. After basic training, you're assigned an area of expertise. Every single soldier has a responsibility, whether you're a medic or a radio person or an engineer, they have military police. You have a specialization after basic training. We have specialization as apostolic people, as, as people in the body, fitly joined together, whether it's music or Sunday school or media missions or administrative, whatever the case, you, you have a, a specialization. But every, soul, every branch of the military has a special force division. And every soldier in those branches has the ability to enlist, to answer the call to the special force. You, whether it's the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, I don't know what the Air Force is, perhaps Top Gun, I can reference that. But there's a special force. There's a special force that you can be called to. And every child of God has the ability to be used mightily, spiritually, because they're filled with the Spirit of God. And what I'm not talking about tonight is licensing or ministering in an official capacity. I am purely talking about spreading the oil, about spreading the oil to your world. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it's a Levite and a priest that pass him by. Church leaders anxious to get to the next responsibility, the next task at hand, anxious to care for the flock, anxious to tend to the fields. The church leaders pass him by. But when you have the oil, you've got a greater purpose. And of course, the oil being symbolic of the Holy Ghost. But when you've got the oil, you've got a greater purpose. We, we tear down the Levite and the priest negatively. But they didn't have the oil. It was only the Samaritan that had the oil. And he is the only one that stopped by the wayside. I told our young people last week, when you've got power, you've got responsibility. It's not the responsibility of the, the official religious leader or the evangelical movement leader to stop and help people. It's the responsibility of the people that have the Holy Ghost inside of them. It's the responsibility of the people with the oil. If you've got the oil, there's a world around you that's beaten and bruised on the wayside that needs the oil, that needs the love of Jesus in their life. They need the Holy Ghost to come by their side. And don't, again, don't mishear me. No one's above serving in the church. You look around at your leaders and your elders, Pastor Kylie mowing the lawn. Seems like every time you drive by in the summer, right? Helping at every workday. Pastor Cordell here late every time there's an event cleaning things up, taking garbage out. Nobody's above working in the church because God loves the laborer. God loves that person. It, I was so blessed by, I think it was our bishop brother Booker at midwinter camp when he talked about Mordecai working at the gate. And, and, and they come by and he, he thwarts that plot, that assassination attempt against the king and the king reads of it and he, and he has the celebration and he parades him all around the kingdom and, and all he wants to do is just go back to working at the gate and just go back to doing his work. But there was a greater calling on Mordecai's life. 
there's a greater calling on the people of God. There will never be revival if it's entirely dependent on licensed ministers. Revival happens when the church decide that they want their world to be set on fire. Revival happens when the people of God get saturated in the Holy Ghost and they start telling people what God's done in their life. I thought Justin hit it right on the head. He, when he was at the basketball, he was saying on Sunday, he was at the basketball practice and he was giving the testimony of Jose to, to someone that was in the middle of, middle of a trial. That's where revival starts. When the people start telling everyone around them, hey, look at what God's done in me. Look what God's done for my brother and my sister. Look what the Holy Ghost can do in your life, how he can change you. That's where revival comes in. Well, we get, we get, get so consumed with the spirit and we get so on fire for God that people just can't help but notice. They can't help but feel it. Maybe you're not called to be an evangelist or a pastor to get licensed, but you're called to carry the oil because it's inside you. You're called to make disciples and share Jesus with every nation and living thing. You're called to be a catalyst for revival. I'm gonna say it like I feel it tonight. And I know this is meant for somebody and it might just be me and if that's it, that's okay. But I think the greatest distraction, I believe this, I believe the greatest distraction, the devil wants to use materialism in careers to keep us from the next level. This is a bit directed at men. We find identity in career. Find identity in our work. But I think that's the devil's greatest mission. Take, take or his greatest weapon, but look at this. If you go search out the Bible, the only example of Baal worship that I can find in the New Testament is in Romans 11, and it's a reference to the Old Testament. There's Baal worship all throughout the Old Testament. It seemed like the constant adversary, the adversary, the adversary of Elijah. And there's nothing in the New Testament and what it strikes me as is that the idolatry of mankind trans transforms predominantly from Baal worship, false idols, false gods, into money. Colossians 3 and 5 says this, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. And maybe I'm alone in thinking this, but it strikes me that there's a transformation from false idol worship into this worship of possessions, this worship of wealth. When Jacob goes to wrestle with God, the first thing he does is sends all that he has to the other side of the brook. Genesis 32, 22 through 24. It says, and he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the forge of Bach and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. To get a hold of God, he had to take all that he had, every possession, and he had to get away from it. He had to take all the wealth, all that he was proud of, and it had to be just him and God. 
And I'm telling you personally, that's something I was been convicted about. A minister spoken to my life at men's camp. It's possessions. It's wealth. It's, the, it's where all the anxiety of this world comes from. The things of this world. When you get away from that, that's when God calls you outside of the flock. When he calls you away from being a shepherd. It's the biggest distraction. In Acts chapter four, we meet Barnabas for the first time the great evangelist and companion of Paul. And what's he doing the first time we hear from Barnabas? He's selling all his land and he takes the money and he lays it down at the feet of the apostles. Use it for the kingdom, further the gospel. And what happens to Barnabas? Well, he becomes the the great evangelist and companion of Paul on missionary journeys, no doubt having an integral part in in the start of the church but he first had to sell his land. And I'm not implying that every single person has to sell all that they have. I I think that goes without saying. But maybe in Barnabas' case, that's what he had to do. Maybe in his case, that's what God called him to do. Maybe he was so obsessed with the land he had accrued and acquired that he had to get rid of it for God to use him. He used him powerfully to spread the gospel to all their world. When the apostles flee the Garden of Gethsemane and the trial of Jesus, where do they go? Right back to their trade. Right back to fishing. It's time to stop putting so much time into fishing. The best example is this, is Judas lives his life so consumed with the purse. He questions the alabaster box of ointment being wasted on Jesus, wasted on the Savior. Bible says he's a thief in his heart. And watch this, in John 18, verses three through six. Heard this a little over a year ago and it convicted me ever since. It says, Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then, as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Judas falls to the ground in disbelief of who he is. How can that possibly be? This is the same person that walked with the other 11 and he missed it all. He, he missed the thousands fed. Somehow he was so consumed with the purse. He was so consumed with the, the, the wealth and the money. He was so absorbed with being a thief that he missed the seas get calmed in front of his very eyes into tranquil waters. He missed the the lepers healed. He missed the deaf that could hear. He missed it all. He missed the dead raised. He, He somehow ignored it. When Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he missed it because of his consumption with wealth. And then all it took was 30 pieces of silver to put him over the edge to betray the savior of the world. 
Achan took three things. I talked about Achan last time. He took three things. Gold, the wealth of the world. Took silver, the currency of the world. And he took the garments, the materialism of the world. And it destroyed his whole family. And it costed lives of Israelites. The disciples fled the garden in fear, but then they were changed. After they were filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, they fearlessly spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world under fear of certain death. The same people that fled in terror, the same Peter that vehemently denied Jesus, swore that he didn't know the man, are all martyred and spread the gospel under the threat of death for the rest of their lives. What changed? What, the only thing that transpired was they and 108 other people on the day of Pentecost were in an upper room and they were filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time it poured out. And when that happened, that's the only thing the Bible tells us, everything changes. And that excites me today that the Holy Ghost changes everything. That it can take a bunch of men who are faithless. How many times Jesus rebukes their faith. It can take these men that are faithless. They, they can't even pray. The Bible talks about how they fall asleep trying to pray. How they can't cast out demons. How they're, they're terrified to even show their face at Jesus' trial. And suddenly they're willing to die for the gospel. All because the Holy Ghost got inside of them. And it changed them. Church, we got the same power to bring the truth and salvation to the world. Fearlessly, faithfully, courageously, like you never could without walking in the spirit. It's not enough to be watching the sheep or plowing the fields. It's time to rise to the spiritual calling. It happened to Moses. Look at, look at the transformation that happened in Moses in Exodus 33, 17 through 18. It says, and the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. In Exodus 3 and 6, 30 chapters ago, Moses hides his face from God because he was so ashamed of who he was. He hides himself in shame. And here we are in, ver in chapter 33. And suddenly there's a courage and a boldness like never before. And he's saying to God, show me your glory. Let me see your face. What changed in Moses? There was no Holy Ghost then, but the Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face. He spoke to him like a friend. He walked with him. He was beside him always. Show me your glory. He was just going to keep tending Jethro's flock. No confidence, no self-esteem. Riddled with shame in his past. Until God got a hold of him. Until God changed him. And turned him into the person that had said, God, show me your glory. Jesus changes everything. We could stand tonight. <clears throat>
despite what you might think of yourself, you're not just a shepherd. Jacob was allowed to keep the blessing because he was hungry for it. You ever wonder that? You ever wonder, why didn't, I mean, he he clearly lied to get it. You know, if he cheated, why can't they just rescind the offer? That's how it works in contract law. (laughs) If If you lie, why can't you just rescind it? You know, I think Isaac could have said that. He could have, you know, he lied. Why does God allow it? Why does he allow it to happen? Because Jacob was hungry for it. Think about Esau. He just, for the price of a bowl of pottage, a bowl of beans, he sells that birthright. He doesn't care about it. Not important to him. Jacob was hungry for it. God's looking to use the people that are hungry for his blessings. Regardless of the imperfection and the flaws in their character. Regardless of the weakness. Regardless of the past. He's looking for the broken vessels. When you think about the vessels, if you've got a beautiful vessel that's perfect on the outside, and you serve something to somebody in that vessel. They comp- it's nice china. They compliment the china. Oh, this is beautiful. Looks turn of the century, you know. It's astounding. But when you when you get served something in that clay mug that your son or daughter made for you in Sunday school and not actually much of a mug really (laughs) and it's really hideous (laughs) you know hesitant to take a drink but what happens when you serve something in a vessel like that is you talk about the contents you talk about the spirit that's inside people see the broken and maybe I overstepped my bounds tonight if I did I'm sorry but if when people see the broken people And they see the people that have been brought out of destruction, that have been picked up on the wayside by a good Samaritan that just had the heart to share the oil with them and pour it in their wounds. They compliment what's inside. What is different about you? What's inside of you that I've never seen or felt before? And we worry about vessels cracked and broken see God loves that because when there's cracks and breaks and holes in the vessel and he pours the Holy Ghost into it it just pours out all over the place pours out all over everything it's around he loves the broken I told you last month Stephen wasn't an apostle he wasn't a licensed minister with the UPCI wasn't ordained But he started a revival in Jerusalem and all he had was the Holy Ghost and some faith. Don't ask who am I when the I am calls you by name. Moses came a long way, but you don't have to make excuses and talk about every weakness you have and every flaw and every imperfection. God called you by name and guess what? He already knew it. He knew what Moses was. I believe there's people in this church 
that have not answered that calling. Soul winners, evangelists, Bible study teachers, and yes, pastors, licensed ministers, altar workers. I think it's just time to come to the altar and let God renew a covenant in you. Let him remind you where he called you to go because being a shepherd's not it. Praise God. Jesus, I praise you, Lord. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for speaking to my heart. Oh God, I pray you would search us from the inside out. Jesus, help us to realize. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.